Welcome to the Family of Grace Sermon for Sunday, January 19th, 2020. Conflicts are all around us, some silly, some profound, and our world calls God's answers foolish. Are they? Join us now in 1 Corinthians and see. Our problems are not new, and God's answers, while called foolish, really work. Good morning. All right, guys. How bad was the damage? What have, what have you heard or seen churches argue about? Tell me. Music. Music. Carpet designs. <laughs> None of these are striking close to home at all. Yeah. Divorce before becoming a Christian. Paint colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're... No, we... It's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Um, what was that? Women's roles in leadership, yeah. Yeah, there are... There are a number of things. One, someone quipped that the... The modern-day American knows Christians for what we oppose more than what we stand for. And they might be right. Yeah, so this morning we are going to be in 1 Corinthians, and uh, Paul is going to be talking to a church in the midst of an argument, a couple arguments, actually a lot of really big issues. And, I mean, for me, the, you know, the, like you said, we, kind of the spectrum, like things from the actually... Like, what does the Bible say and what is the authority of the scriptures to what is our understanding of the Bible on various issues and topics to things that are not in the Bible, like, you know, dancing, paint colors, carpet. I heard one church split that began over the type of coffee that was to be served on Sunday morning, like light, you know, dark roast or medium roast. And as, as sad as that is, the sadder thing is just as any of you guys who have ever had a relational fight, it, it's not about the coffee. It's never about the coffee. It's about the relationship. It's about people. It's about our understanding of how we get along. And fundamentally, when we, when we see a church split over the carpet color, like that, that is but the tip of the iceberg to the problems in the church. Because what Paul's going to show us this morning is it, it's not about Leaders, which happens to be the, the current debate in the Corinthian church, it's not about them. It's about you guys fundamentally misunderstanding the nature of the gospel and Jesus and what it's called, uh, what we are being called to to live in unity with one another. And so he just kind of goes to the bottom and begins to work down there. Oh, there we go. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the King, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the NIV. Other translations will say, 
Um, agree in what you say, be of the same speech, be of the same mind and the same judgment. You're to be together. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow So there's a, a faction or, or people are arguing about their leaders. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. It is safe to say that the Corinthians are very confused. <laughs> and we are very confused about the Corinthians. There's been a lot of ink spilled about, oh wait, what exactly is going on? Some people have said there's factions in the church. Um, but based on what Paul's going to say throughout the rest of 1 Corinthians and the rest of 2 Corinthians, it, we can at least say that some within the church have begun to question just how good of an apostle Paul was. And so he has to kind of go on the defense and the offense at the same time. And he just begins with himself. Some of you guys are loyal to me. Apollos was a very eloquent man, a speaker who came to Corinth after Paul left. Uh, Cephas Peter apparently made a visit, we think, to Corinthians. And then the last one's really confusing. Christ, don't we all? Like, what's going on? But for better or for worse, Paul's going to have none of it. He says, is, is Christ divided? Have we taken the Messiah and just kind of parsed him out to you guys? Like, you know, a quarter of Jesus there and, and a fifth of Jesus over here. And, you know, you guys got 45% of Jesus. You're doing real well in that corner. And, and why are you even arguing about leaders? Like me? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's absurd. It's absurd. And yet they're arguing about leaders as if leaders were something. As if we mattered. At all. And he, he says, I, God, I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Uh, Crispus being the Jewish synagogue leader early in Paul's ministry in Corinth. Uh, so that no one can say you are baptized into my name. It, it's not something you should be proud of. Yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. On a complete side note, this is one of my favorite little phrases in the Bible. I was like, welcome to Scripture and the Apostle Paul. And, oh yeah, that's right, and I don't remember. It's just the humanity of the people the bleeding pages, and it, it just makes me smile every time. So, um, But he says, because Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Some important things are being said here. And Paul begins this argument, guys, fighting among you, and he's going to just explore this argument for about four chapters. It's going to end, he's going to around by the end of chapter four. So it's one big argument. Right here, this is kind of his key phrase for the next couple paragraphs. He's going to focus on the power of the cross of Christ. Now, again, a few observations. Christ didn't send me to baptize. Well, the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples. As you go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And check it out. I'm with you, boys, to the end of the page. 
But Paul says, baptism as it is, and it's very important, is not his primary purpose, but to preach the gospel. Good news of Jesus, not with wisdom and eloquence. Um, and by that, and the rest of the context in 1 Corinthians, it's not like wisdom and eloquence don't matter. The Bible's full of wisdom literature. <laughs> Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing. It comes from God. Um, and eloquence, like Apollos was an eloquent man. Jesus seemed to be able to communicate himself reasonably well to a large amount of crowds. So he, he's not talking about talking like a moron, but simply that wisdom and eloquence as the Corinthians understood it in, in the Greek culture, the idea of, um, I think today we would say like well-marketed, like well, well-phrased and well-timed and well-sold, the, the kind of um, flashy displays that you see on, on uh, kids' toys commercials. Like it, it's all form and there's no substance to it at all. Um, Lest the cross be emptied of its power. And that phrase got me. Because when it comes to the cross of Christ and the power of God, you kind of get the sense that it's not something you can fight against. It's, it's something so powerful. Jesus said about the church, the gates of hell cannot stand against it, will not prevail against it. The church is on a frontal assault into the kingdom of Satan, and he's not going to stand against us. And yet Paul says, were I to try to add things to this gospel, I could bleed it out of its power. I could make it null and void and of no effect by the way that I present it. It's a scary thing to take something so powerful and effectively emasculate it. So Paul's going to talk about this power of the cross of Christ. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, throughout this passage, Paul's going to contrast wisdom and foolishness. And because of the contrast, I don't know that there's a better way to say it. But generally to the guy on the street, I don't hear the words wisdom and foolishness being tossed around. So perhaps we could even say smart and stupid. The message of the cross is stupid to those who are dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It changes everything. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. God's going to turn the table the things that we as humans are so proud of. And he's making a quote from Isaiah 29. It's a great passage. At one, you have uh, a tale about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. Like the nations are going to destroy the people of God. And then, in a moment, God's going to rescue his people. And it's going to be like, like people who dream. <laughs> like these nations are like, we have this in our hands. We are going to win. And then they wake up. And it's, like, and it's like when you're dreaming and you're hungry and you get food and you're eating it in your dream, but then you wake up and you're still hungry again. You're like, wait, what happened? And you're searching around for the food that you were just consuming. I don't know if you guys have had that dreams. Mine involved a Twinkie. Um, <laughs> it seriously did. Uh, but... But it's going to be like that. God is going to dramatically save his people. And it goes on to say, 
Um, these people, they honor me with my, their lips. Their hearts are far from me and they teach the fear of God as the commandment of men. Like the problem with these people is the really smart ones, the really wise ones, think it's all about rule keeping. Even fearing God is about more fearing men. And so God is going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and he's going to thwart the intelligence of the intelligent. He's going to just turn everything on its head. God is going to be faithful to his promises. And so where, where is this wise person? Um, again, Paul's alluding to I, the prophet Isaiah. Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Look around. Has not God made foolish, stupid, the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God was so smart that he figured that the world's not going to be smart enough to get to know him. Like, it doesn't matter any, any human endeavor, no matter what mountain you might climb, you will not have a perspective on God where you can comprehend this guy. It doesn't matter how, how uh, you know, clairvoyant you think you might be, how good your interpretation the market, no one's going to know God wisdom. God planned that. In fact, it, it made God happy through, to save people through kind of something that's kind of stupid. And that's what we preached. And the Jews demand signs. They want miracula- miracles. Like, show us. Show us strength. Show us something awesome. We want to be impressed. You know, uh, a divine dog and pony show. And the Greeks, they look for wisdom. We want something that's flashy, that's well-marketed. We want something that looks really, really great. But we preach Christ crucified. Our whole message is about a murdered king, a tortured, executed monarch, <laughs> God shamed on a cross. That's what we preach. And, and to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. That's, that's they don't get beyond. When you see stumbling block in the scripture, it doesn't mean something that you, you know, kind of trip over and recover. It means something that just lays you out and you don't get up from. Because to the Jews, a man on a cross is someone who is cursed by God. It, it makes no sense. This is, not, this is not the king that we were looking for. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. It just kind of sounds stupid. Like, really? Um, the cross to Romans. I, we don't have a good American um, comparison. And I don't know that it's true. I heard one person say that the, the cross to the Romans would be something similar to like a broken condom in AIDS-infested Africa. Something heinous and shameful. And we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't look at that. And yet for those who are being saved, that is, that is the mo- moment of our salvation was when a king hung upon a cross for us. To those Christ, God and the wisdom of God. Christ on a cross, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for you. He was crucified for your sins because you were in rebellion against God. And you had no hope. And he took your sins upon himself. And he died and he was buried. And he's put on the ground. 
And he stayed there for three days. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And now he offers you forgiveness, life, and hope, and peace, and reconciliation, and a place in God's family. And it might kind of sound kind of stupid. But that's the message that's going to change the world. That's the wisdom that comes from God. That's the power that comes from God. And it's actually kind of stupid not to believe it. As awkward as it might sound. Because, frankly, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. God is stronger than human strength. God on his worst off day is better than anything we've ever come up with. And so Paul says, I'm the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys are arguing and you're all divided because you haven't understood something very, very simple. This is not about leaders. It's about Jesus. It's about the crucified king who's raised for our sins. It's about the gospel. And everything that you're doing shows that you haven't quite comprehended it. You're about leaders? Who are leaders? It's about the gospel. You're about wisdom? It's not about wisdom or a flashy show. It's about the basic message of the truth of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. Because who would come up with a message like this? Like, what kind of wisdom is this? It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block. It's also the way that God chose to save humanity. And if you thought the gospel, if you thought the message was a little bit odd, you should see the people that God's working with. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many were influential. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Sorry. Not many were influential. Not many of you guys were mighty, powerful, or strong. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world. Some of you were kind of stupid to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, (laughs) the rejects, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God, God chose a thing that everyone else wanted to ignore. He's going to work through them. And the whole point is that no human will stand in God's presence and be able to boast about how good or smart or awesome they are. Mm. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any leader or any wisdom. It's about God. God chose. God chose. God chose. This is his work. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. The crucified king who rose from the dead, Christ Jesus, is now our wisdom. We're smart in him. He is the wisdom that comes from God. And it doesn't look like this world's wisdom. Not at all. It's totally upside down that you gain glory through sacrifice, that you, you find your, your purpose and meaning by finding how much you can give and serve and love others. It's not, it's not this world's uh, wisdom to be sure. Jesus is our righteousness. He is what makes us just and right, who atone for our sins. He's our holiness. He's the one who is through whom we have become the holy, separate people of God, destined to be blameless in God's eyes because of his work through us. He has redeemed us. 
because we were slaves to sin. Jesus is our everything. The message is crazy. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And here Paul's tweaking uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. And it's great because in Jeremiah it says, let not the rich man, one word, sorry. Yeah, let not the rich, uh, the wise man boast in his wisdom. Not many of you are wise. Let not the strong man in his strength. Not many of you are influential. And, that, and let not the, sorry, I have to here. Thank you, the rich man is riches. Actually, it's up here. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who works steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight. And Paul is just picking up that theme, only he makes a change. It's not that I am Yahweh, it's boast in the Lord, boast in Jesus. Paul knows who Yahweh is now, God the Father and God the Son. It's Jesus so let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Which is kind of silly. And it kind of sounds almost stupid, but it sure works. And so Paul says, and look at me, this preacher. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, with you, wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He came to you in weakness, great fear, and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You want to know the power of God? It looks like the cross. It looks like God dying for us to save us. That's the only power from God that can change human hearts. That's the only, only power from God that can change human destiny, that can take people who are broken and ravaged by sin, who are all kinds of messed up. It can take the weak and the failure. <laughs> it can take the reject and the lonely. I mean, it could take me. It could take you. And it can transform us to be the people of God who live by the power of God, who say that our sins and our past no longer define us, who say that the most important thing now is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it might sound stupid, but guys, it works. And it's better than anything the world has to offer. I mean, the worldly wisdom, as someone once said, we have all of these programs to, to raise people up from their living standards, to make them richer, to give them more free time. Essentially, like the goal of all human endeavors is... You know, even the, the, the ones that care about people is to turn us all into celebrities who have no needs in the world. And yet those people who have everything that the world says is important, most of them are miserable. It's an empty promise. Like if you want true significance, be like Jesus. If you want to last for eternity, follow Jesus. And it means following him into his death. And it means, it means sharing in the cross. It means we don't, we don't get to go beyond it. We don't get to add to it. We don't get to dress it up. The fact is, Jesus died. Yeah. And he rose again. And he's Lord. And so you can have forgiveness of your sins. And you can have new life in Christ. If only you'd believe. 
No, it's not about how much you do. It's not about how much money you make, how noble or exceptional or, or ins- inspirational you are. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear, what car you drive, how eloquent of words. It matters not how many YouTube followers you have. Because God, God didn't choose those people. God chose those people that you're ignoring. He chose some of you. He chose me. I mean, he's, he's happy to work with really low-grade quality people. Because, because when he does, he gets the glory. Because it's all about his work. He saved us in Jesus. He chose us. He called us. He rescued us. He delivered us. He has given us everything. Why are you boasting in people? Why are we playing the celebrity game among one another? Why does it matter what, what pastor, what leader, what, what carpet color? You have fundamentally not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has done it all. We've done nothing. And so we need to respond in humility and in gratitude and in praise and in unity. Because Christ died for us, Christ died for you, and Christ died for that person that you're arguing with. You need to love him. Christ did. Christ did. And it makes me wonder, you know, if if the message is crazy and, and the people are kind of crazy and the preaching was kind of crazy. And God chose to take everything that we thought was important and turn it on its head and to do amazing work through a dumb message and dumb people and, and a dumb preacher. It just This isn't what the world wanted. And yet this is how God is going to show his power among us. How does that, how does that change the way that, that you and I and we live and minister? For those who are worried about sounding dumb preaching the gospel, guys, don't worry about it. It's going to sound dumb. The world's going to reject it. To some, it's a stumbling block they can't get over. And to some, it's just sounding stupid. Okay. Because it's not about you. It's about God calling people to new life. What power do you have? You can sow. You can water. God has to make things that are dead come to life. So, be willing to sound stupid. That's, that's something I've been struck with this week. Or that that somehow by having a really polished message, I can, make, I can make the gospel of Jesus Christ just a little bit better. I can't. You can't. We can empty it of its power. Can't make it better than it is. And when we fight and when we bicker among ourselves, we actually show that we have fundamentally misunderstood what it means to be the people of the cross, the people of Jesus and, and it's almost laughable that the Corinthians are playing this one-upsmanship game <laughs> because, guys, you were failing at it. The reason that you're saved is that society had rejected you. That's what made you open to the message of the cross in the first place. Why are we trying to play that game now among one another? It doesn't belong. So whether you're Paul or Apollos or Cephas, no, 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 you're all Christ's. And we need to repent of it. And so we need to be unified in Jesus. We need to boast in the Lord. And that might sound silly. That might sound ridiculous. But that's the power of God that changes everything. It changed my life. It changed your life. It'll change our life. And it can change their life. It's upside down. It's backwards. It sounds stupid. But it works. So my question for us going forward into this week is to take a look around. In what ways are we buying into the values of, of the world? The world that God has shown to be stupid. The world that God has shown like will not accomplish anything. We won't get anywhere. Because sometimes 
Sometimes we do buy into it and we just, it's not right. Sometimes we do want to seem cool. We want to hang around like the in group in the church and we forget the, the other group that Christ also died for, that he also called, that he also empowered and equipped with gifts that we need. Um, you know, in, in our sharing. Paul's like, I was sent to preach the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. I came preaching Christ crucified. And for me, that was something, again, that I'm struck by. It's like the need just to tell people about Jesus and him crucified and to risk sounding stupid doing it because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. So that's what I'm going to be working on this week. But I encourage you guys to think about yourselves. How has a cross of Christ changed you? How is it changing you? And how does it need to change you? Because it's not about us. It's about God and what he's done for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you um, for your work among us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way that, that we belong to him, that in him you have equipped us with every spiritual gift um, that we need to be faithful. God, you're faithful, and we thank you that you have just turned the world on its head, and I pray that you would help us to understand it. That it's not the wisdom of the wise, it's not the, the people who, that we see on, on TV or the internet or that we read about who have really you know, popular names and are well known. Lord, it's about a man named Jesus who lived and who died on our behalf 2,000 years ago and rose again. Um, and because of him, we have new life. Lord, you have sent messengers into the world and some of them were kind of goofy looking and we thank you that you will be most glorified when you take broken people that everyone else discarded and you're going to use them to change the world when you took a message that seemed foolish and stupid and you're going to use it to save people and so god i, I do pray that even uh, when we go out that we would be happy to clothe ourselves in humility and weakness and fear and in trembling and to announce Jesus Christ and him crucified, God, that we might trust you with everything because we know at the end nothing that we bring matters. We bring our brokenness, we bring our sin, we bring our failures to you and you give us honor and glory and riches and, and your name and your message and when we go out, you're going to show up and be glorified in it. So Father, be praised and we thank you for what you've done in Christ and we ask that we might see the work of your spirit and the power of God among us as you're going to change lives through the message of Jesus. You've done it before, you're going to do it again. So we praise you. Amen. The Family of Grace Fellowship is located at 12414 East Burnside, Portland, Oregon, 97233. We invite you to our weekly Sunday service at 1030 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at Family of Grace pdx.org. Thank you for listening.